Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be with you all again here today. Um, I'm feeling like very emotionally fragile. You ever feel this way? I'm sure you did. I feel like I was feeling very excited, like all, all yesterday, I was feeling excited this morning, and then about 15 minutes ago, I was like, well, I just need to like take a nap. I feel like I'm done. So that's a bad time for me to like have like the energy just totally fall out. Coffee could have been a solution possibly, but anyways, um, I am I am glad to be here. And um, today, as we said a moment ago, we're talking about love. And once again, it's it's the right topic for the right moment. As Claire alluded to a minute ago, if you missed it, last week was an exciting one. So like, sorry about that. If you were extending the Thanksgiving vacation and then you showed up this morning, and you're like, what has happened? <laughs> you're like, yeah, I feel that way too. Um, as you probably heard, as Claire said, we found out last Sunday morning that a, that a bandit, like a ne'er-do-well, a rapscallion of sorts, <laughs> has made off with our church trailer um, during the Thanksgiving holiday. And in addition to a pretty well-worn, I would say, trailer that I was kind of shocked, like, had air in the tires and was like, because I fill them up most Sunday mornings. So like, anyways, they made off with it. And in addition to that trailer, they got literally everything that we use here on Sunday mornings from our PA equipment to the coffee machine to like the like cushioned play panels that the, the nursery uses um, and the room dividers in our kids' area. They, they got all the things. Um, and it was a crazy day uh, last Sunday. Um, but I'll tell you something. It didn't stop church from happening, which was amazing. And our topic that morning, which we, we ran with, in spite of all the craziness, um, was hope. And I'm not an overly emotional guy. Um, I'm more so when I'm tired and like worn out the way I am now. But I had a hard time keeping it together last week as I read through the script because I'm, I'm a manuscriptor. If you're new here, I, I write all the sermons out because it's, um, it protects you. Because if I didn't do this, I'd be talking for like an hour and a half. It just keeps me focused and keeps me on time. Um, but of course, with all the drama, like I, I felt like I should say something different, but I, I didn't have time to think of anything. And so I just went with it, even if it felt weird. And this weird thing happened is I, I, I read through the script that I had written um, you know, before I even left for Thanksgiving holiday. And, and I had a hard time um, kind of keeping it together because by God's grace and generosity, like the words that I was reading were like the words that I needed to hear. And specifically, in that message, what we were challenged with is we were challenged to live now in the kingdom of God that is still to come. That's the big idea of Advent, to begin living now, to remind ourselves on an annual basis that we can choose to live now in the kingdom of God that is still to come. And we were reminded that Jesus' arrival in this world was this first domino, right, of a string of dominoes that's still falling. Even at this very moment, it's continuing to fall. And the result of all of these dominoes is going to be the emergence of a kingdom of radical justice, and fairness and goodness that's going to reshape this entire world. And in our day-to-day -day lives, it can be so hard to hold on to the reality of that coming kingdom. It can be easy to see the bad things that, that happen to us as, as evidence of what powers really hold sway in the world. But we know 
We know in our heads, maybe, and, and in our hearts some days, we know that this is entirely wrong. We know that it's actually evil that is the anomaly here. Good is the thing that's growing. Good is the thing that's creeping further and further into the world all the time with every human being who chooses to live after the example of Jesus, no matter what it costs them. And persevering last week with church, as much as that's just a little thing, and we're just a little group of people, but persevering last week was a victory for the good. And, and showing up this week is a victory for the good. And, and choosing to forgive when it would be easier to hold a grudge, every time you do that, that's a victory for the good. And those victories are adding up in this world. They're adding up. And even when we struggle to see the bigger picture. And I think hope, which is what we talked about last week, hope is what we feel in ourselves when we hold space for all of that. When we hold space in us for the good. And love, which is what we're going to talk about today, I think is, is kind of the blood that keeps hope alive. It's our anchor in the world. And this is, this is like the big idea of this morning, is I think love is also the evidence that we can find any time, literally any time we choose to look for it, of God. This week, we're talking about love through the lectionary, which we introduced last year or last week as this traditional tool in the church um, for seeing the connections between scriptures. And this year is year A in the lectionary. The lectionary uses a three-year cycle. And our love verses today, so they shuffle every three years, our love verses that we've been assigned by the lectionary today are particularly, well, they are strange. So I'm going to say that out of the gate. Um, we have two that we're going to focus on this morning. And one of them is a passage from Isaiah 7, where Isaiah speaks to a man named King Ahaz. I guess his name wasn't, his name was just Ahaz. It wasn't King Ahaz, but his role, his position was king. And he's talking to King Ahaz about the timing of God's deliverance. And then the second verse we're looking at is this revelation that we find in Matthew 1 of Mary's unexpected pregnancy to the man who would become her husband, Joseph. And to be frank, as I was like looking at those passages earlier in the week and trying to figure out what we're going to talk about today, like neither of them have anything obviously loving to say, as far as I can tell. But I think, I think that a closer look will still be revelatory. So we can start with the Isaiah passage. That's where we'll begin. And it is also going to lead us into a new episode of a show that I'm sure we're going to follow all the time over the coming years, which is Challenging Things That Kenny Learned in Seminary. That's the name of the show. You'll learn to hate it if you don't hate it already. But nonetheless, here's the verse. It's verses 10 and 16 from chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child 
and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. All right, so parts of this passage you recognize because they show up in every Advent season. Specifically, verse 14 shows up all the time. And in that verse, it says that a young woman's going to bear a son named Emmanuel, and Emmanuel means God with us. And this verse is commonly seen as this, uh, as a prophetic anticipation of Jesus. And the reason that this verse is seen as this prophetic anticipation of Jesus is because the passage in Matthew's gospel, which we're going to read in a few minutes, connects the two verses together in that kind of a way. And certainly, like, that connection has some, some value here, right? The name fits for Jesus, even though his name is not Emmanuel, his name is Jesus. But nonetheless, Jesus is God with us. And this is an essential component of what we believe as Christians, that Jesus is God with us, that he is Emmanuel. But, right, like what about the challenging things Kenny learned in seminary? Yes, that's the point of the show. Well, what you learn when you look at this broader context surrounding verse 14, some of which is here in that passage that you've got in front of you, is that it certainly seems, if you look at it, it certainly seems unlikely that Isaiah meant this verse to anticipate a savior some 700 years later. Look again at what happens here. Ahaz, right, not King Ahaz, just Ahaz. Ahaz is a king of Judah. And at the beginning of his reign, his old countrymen in the northern kingdom of Israel, since this is after Israel split into these two kingdoms, Ahaz, king of the south, his old buddies in the north have tried to form this coalition of a bunch of neighboring tribes to resist the growing power of the Assyrians, who are kind of like the new up-and-coming empire of the region. And Ahaz is frightened by this pressure campaign that the northern kingdom is putting on him and their threats. He doesn't want to ally with their other neighbors, and he doesn't know what exactly to do. And Isaiah is Ahaz's prophet, he kind of hangs out with Ahaz and communicates to him what God is communicating to him. And, Ahaz, and Isaiah is counseling Ahaz here to be patient and to ask God for a sign. And in fact, God says, ask me for a sign. But Ahaz won't do it. He won't ask for the sign. He says he won't put God to the test. And so then in this passage, here's what we actually see. Isaiah says to Ahaz, look, you're going to get a sign whether you like it or not. He says, do you see this pregnant woman over there, presumably pointing to somebody in the, in the room? Do you see this pregnant woman? She's going to give birth to a son, and that son's name will be God with us. And before that child is even old enough to take care of himself, before he's old enough to know the bad from the good, the northern kingdom and all of these problems will have been dealt with. So what's Isaiah's point? Well, his point is that Ahaz needs to be patient and to trust God, because God is with us. And if you just hold on for a minute, he will deal with this problem for you. But that's not how the story goes with Ahaz. Instead, what Ahaz does is he allies with the Assyrians against the northern kingdom and their buddies. And the Assyrians then destroy the northern kingdom, which of course fulfills that prophecy where the northern kingdom area is going to be deserted before the kid grows up to be old enough to know the bad from the good. It all happens, tied up. 
But the consequence is that Judah, Ahaz's kingdom, becomes bound to the Assyrians as their subjects and bound to their gods. So what happens here is we have this moment where Ahaz sells the kingdom in a moment of fear. He doesn't trust God and he's not patient. So back to our theme, right? Where's the love? What on earth? And here's my contention. My contention is that the love is there. The problem is that Ahaz lacks the confidence to trust in it. Fear gets in his way. But what about the prophecy? Some of you are upset. What about the prophecy? Are we misreading things when we read this verse at Christmas time? No, we're not. I don't think so. And part of the reason is because the reason we tie this passage to Jesus, like I said, is because of this other passage we're going to look at in Matthew's gospel. So let's look there. Here's what Matthew says in verses 18 through 25 of chapter 1. He says, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to divorce her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had given birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Okay, so what all is going on here? So Joseph, who's pledged to be married to Mary, has discovered her pregnancy. And because Joseph cares for her, he is resolved to simply end his betrothal with her quietly rather than make any public accusations against her which could embarrass her, or more than embarrass her. But then he's visited by this messenger from God who explains the situation to him. And instead of acting rashly, what's Joseph being challenged to do? Well, he's being challenged here to be patient and to trust that God is working good. And I think, I think I'm at least here struck by those angels' first words, which are, do not be afraid. And I would contend that in light of that connection to the Isaiah passage, Part of what's going on here is that Joseph has been placed in a situation that's not all that dissimilar from the situation of King Ahaz once upon a time. He's not the king of any great nation, Joseph, but he is still a man confused and a man in a cultural context who is at risk, or his, his name is at risk, I should say, in his cultural context of attack and embarrassment. Remaining with Mary is something that will reflect badly on Joseph. And the fastest way out of his trouble is to cast her aside. But God 
says to him, much as he once said to Ahaz through Isaiah, that if you would be patient, all, as this pregnant woman must be patient, God will work out deliverance. There is love to find, again, if fear can get out of the way. I am constantly in awe this time of year of Mary's pregnancy with Jesus. The fact of it. It is surely one of the richest and the most beautiful parts of the whole story of our faith. The Savior of the world. The Son of God himself. Is entrusted into the very body of his vast creation into the very body of a young woman. Jesus like grows within her, like little by little, right? Day by day, week by week. And the vulnerability of that is incredible. That choice on God's part to become so vulnerable. For months and months, like what does this mean? For months and months, our king, the king of that kingdom that we're holding space for, like could not live apart from her. If we want to talk about fear and patience, is there a better example than pregnancy? The most powerless and afraid I have ever been was not last week when our trailer was stolen. That was no big deal. The most powerful and afraid, powerless, I should say, and afraid I have ever been was waiting on the first sound of my oldest daughter's heartbeat in the doctor's office when we had our first ultrasound. To have no control. To be so afraid. I cannot imagine the experience of any mother living that out, carrying both such incredible hope and such uncertainty in her own body at the same time. The entire experience of a pregnancy is so fragile, and there's nothing at all to do about it but wait. Just wait. I've walked alongside Meredith in that waiting twice now, I witnessed it recently in our friends, Matt and Melanie. Um, I suppose we're witnessing in a, in a sense with our friend, um, friends Aaron and Caleb who went into labor last night. Have you had an update? I have, they have a baby. Name? Porter. Oh, right. <laughs> Porter. Someone's waiting, it's over. I'm witnessing this process of waiting now and our friends Claire and Rob. The angel's words here are, do not be afraid. Isaiah's words are, wait, trust, God is with you. Because here's the thing, right, about pregnancy is, is a symbol in this story. Although pregnancy is a waiting game, it has an end date. Every pregnancy, every pregnancy is also a promise of deliverance. It is amazing to me 
that our God chose this supremely human path to come into this world. And I think the only word for the trust God placed in Mary is love. I think the only word for the trust that Mary then placed in God is love. And I think Joseph's trust of both of them was love. Which is a way then of saying that I think love is the foundation for our hope in this world. Love is the miracle in creation that blossoms any time and every time that we look beyond ourselves at the world we find ourselves in and open ourselves up to it, open ourselves up to other people in it, open up ourselves to God in it. There is no explanation for the experience of love, as far as I can tell, in this world alone. There's no reason for it. There's no reason for us to put our final focus on anything beyond our own survival. But when we do it anyways, we are filled up with something beautiful and something that's scary and something that's fragile and something that's overwhelming. And even more, we're filled up with something that we can't stay pregnant with forever. Something that, if we nurture it in us, will overflow the banks of us and rush out into the world. Something that is a force for good. A force for deliverance. Love is trust, and trust nourishes love. So I think we have these two puzzle pieces here this morning. We have this time-locked promise in the time of Isaiah, and then we have this surprising echo of that promise in the angel's words to Joseph. And I said at the start that the realization that Isaiah's promise might not have been intended as a prophecy about Jesus is one of those challenging things that Kenny learned in seminary. So I don't want to leave you hanging with that. What do we do with it? Are these two passages meant to be related or connected? Is Jesus, let's put the question simply, is Jesus Isaiah's Emmanuel? Well, here's what I want to say about that. To see in this prophecy a simple act of fulfillment, to see in this prophecy like a solution to a puzzle, I think is to sell wonder short. As satisfying as it is to connect dots, when that becomes our only goal, I think what we are also doing is putting an end to their possibility. We close out the account. We say, Isaiah said it once upon a time, then it happened with Jesus, now it's done. But I don't think that God works that way. I think God said to Isaiah and God said to Joseph that you will see your deliverance come when you put your fear aside and wait for it. When you trust me to do it, the God who's with you. And I think God says those sorts of things because God's heart, hear me, he says those sorts of things because God's heart is overflowing towards us all the time. He wants us to see him, not just to see what he can do for us. He wants us to be people I think this is the key. He wants us to be people that he can trust 
with himself. And I think he wants that because he loves us. So are we willing to put aside our fears and allow love to grow in us? I think that's the challenge for us in this season. It's a challenge for our church today. It's a challenge for me today. I'm going to close this morning with this exercise that I'm borrowing from Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a Dutch priest and an academic who for the last 20 years of his life gave up his career in order to live modestly in a center for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And he wrote beautifully and he wrote often about opening ourselves up to the simple experience of expectant love. Opening ourselves up to the simple experience of expectant love. Once he described his personal daily meditational practices to an interviewer, and this is what he said. He said that each morning he sets aside 30 minutes and he spends, he breaks it up into three 10 minute increments and he spends 10 minutes each with, with a simple statement. And he just repeats that statement over and over to himself and lets it kind of sink in and flower and mean whatever it's going to mean. And then he moves on to the next one. And I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to take 30 minutes of your time with it. What I'm going to do is take about 60 seconds. But I'm doing this because I want to introduce you to something that I would actually encourage you to try this week to whatever time frame works for you. The statements are there in your program. I'm going to invite you to say them out loud with me three times each. Well, that's going to be hard because you won't know when I'm going to talk. I'll just say them. Is that okay? But read them with me. Think about them. Pray them. And then I'll close us in prayer. The first of the statements is that Jesus is God's beloved. Jesus is God's beloved. Jesus is God's beloved. beloved God's beloved.
We are God's beloved. We are God's beloved. God, your love fills us up. We are all pregnant with it. May we have courage this week to wait with it, to nurture your love within us, with all of ourselves, to trust. Love is a fragile thing, but it can also be irresistible. So may we learn to trust you more. May we wait expectantly on your deliverance. God, I believe that you want us to feel wonder. You want us to experience real life in this world and beyond this world. And I ask that you would sit with us in our fear. I ask that you would be patient with us when we resist you. And God, I ask that you would work a miracle in this place, God. That you would work miracles in each one of us, God. The earth is yours and everything in it. We can be people of love. And if you lead us into the fullness of what that means, we can know the joy of sharing your love with others. Thank you, God, for who you are. In your son's name, amen.